0: tell already by the outline in your bulletin that uh, we're not going to be in one place, but you can go to the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at a couple of verses in there. Psalm 19, and then if you want to keep a finger over in Psalm 139, uh, we will reference those. But I'm returning back today to uh, my study in the series called Lies About God, in which we have been countering the most popular lies today in the culture and in the church. And thus far, we've looked at several lies Uh, The lie that God is woke. We've looked at the lie that says God is gay. We've looked at the um, lies uh, that say that Jesus was a socialist and some of these other things that are now invading the church. Today I want to uh, focus in on a lie that we've all encountered at one point in our life, whether uh, witnessing or whether uh, you spent time in school, and that is the lie that God doesn't exist. I want to begin today with a story that was featured in a major news outlet. I'm just going to read for you an excerpt. Steve Phelps was a Baptist music director in Nashville, Tennessee for over 20 years until he became disillusioned with organized religion and God altogether. Then one day he finally gave up his faith and announced that he was an atheist. Now without church there was a void In his life, Steve and his wife discovered they were suddenly disconnected from people and they missed the social aspect of belonging to a church family. And so Steve wondered, could you build a community that offers all the social benefits of a church but without God? Then he discovered what he had been missing. It's called the Sunday Assembly. What is the Sunday Assembly? Well, here's the headline. The Sunday Assembly tries to have church without God. The Sunday Assembly movement was started in 2013 in the United Kingdom and then spread to the United States. Today, according to this article, there are about 70 independent congregations based in major cities. And the skeptics and atheists gather regularly to do familiar church activities, but without mention of god so what would a sunday assembly look like well they would sing secular songs they would share testimonies of deconversions that is coming out of the church and into skepticism they even have a quote-unquote preacher who delivers a sermon if you will and then afterward they enjoy a potluck dinner the sunday assembly has two central messages You don't need God to be good and we can't promise you heaven but we can't threaten you with hell. So the Sunday Assembly is just part of a growing trend of atheism and skepticism in the United States and the experts who study the ebb and flow of religion have now today invented a new category to describe this group. They are called the nuns, not the... Ladies who wear black and not N-U-N-S like Mother Teresa, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. In fact, there are more than 72 million millennials in the United States today. That is those of my generation born uh, 1980 through 2000. And almost 25% of that group, uh, make up the U.S. population, but in 2008, researchers noted that 31 percent of millennials described themselves as "quote religiously unaffiliated" or "nuns" in the category when it came to God. They're not Baptists. They're not Methodists. They're not Christian. They're not Buddhists. They're not. They're they're nothing. They are none, in their term. By 2018, though. In 10 years, that number had jumped from 31% to 42% in our nation. Now, you think about atheism and you wonder what moves people in that direction. Well, I would say that atheism is an attractive worldview because on its surface, it offers no rules for how you should live and freedom to do what you want, think what you want, and there's no God that you are morally accountable to. So it's attractive to that portion of man, that fallen nature within us that wants to be our own God. Uh, Atheism also prides itself on being rational, and scientific, and, and honest. In the view of many, atheism is what we move into once we outgrow the fairy tale or the myth of organized religion. Atheism also has numerous celebrities who endorse it and thus give it a trend value or a stamp of approval. So it's it's cool to be a skeptic. Joe Rogan is an example. He's the host of the, the most popular podcast in the world. He reaches over 190 million listeners each month. So this guy's got a big megaphone. He classifies as an agnostic, but recently he stated his true belief about Christianity saying this, quote, Christianity at the end of the day has no proof. Everything is mythology. People hear that. They take his word for it. They don't research it. And thus we have the problem that we do today. And what about the next example? Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is an acclaimed astrophysicist. He has succeeded Carl Sagan in many ways as kind of America's go-to scientific source. But in 2017, in an interview with CBS, he was asked if he believed in God. And Mr. Tyson said, quote, "...the more I look at the universe, the less convinced I am that there is a benevolent, all-powerful God." And I would say to him, look a little bit harder, (laughs) Then there's the comedian and late night host Bill Maher who debated a while back conservative Bill O'Reilly. But in that debate, Bill Maher said, Faith is the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. If your perfect holy book is written by God, then why is there so much stuff in there that doesn't make any sense? Now, he might be right about that second part. There is a lot in the Bible that we have to leave to mystery. There's stuff in there that I don't understand, and I've been studying the Bible for decades now. But as you can see there, his, his belief is that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a Bible believer, you have to take your brain out and throw it in the trash before you walk in church. And we know that that's just a straw man. That's just a false view of what it means to be a believer. Now today, I'm going to deal with the pervasive lie that says God does not exist. And I want to offer three compelling lines of evidence that show the existence and the activity of God in our everyday lives. And in my hope that in this message, not only will we debunk this lie, but I want to give you some arrows for your quiver. Because I know that you're heading out tomorrow back into a work world or a school or a neighborhood where you're going to encounter your garden variety, your village atheist. And you're going to be challenged by that professor. You're going to be challenged by that co-worker that asked you, well, why do you believe in God? And friend, at that moment, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared to have something up your sleeve. As First Peter three fifteen and 16 tells us, be ready and be prepared to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is within you. So we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. If I can't defend my faith, if I can't offer compelling reasons for why I'm a believer, then I need to do some more homework. So, this will help you in your reaching the lost. The first piece of evidence I want you to see today, number one, the evidence from creation. The evidence from creation. Now bear with me, this message may be a little bit more intellectual, may be a little bit more academic or heady than what I might normally do, but we need to give the Lord not only our heart, but also our head, don't we? We need to be knowledgeable in these things so that we can point others to Christ. The evidence from creation. The first piece of evidence that speaks of God's existence is the universe around us. You see, because every worldview has to answer a very simple question, how did we get here, and why is there something rather than nothing? Now, basically, when you come to the topic of the universe, when it comes to creation, you really only have three viable options. You can say, number one, the universe always existed, which is what Carl Sagan said, the universe is all there was, is, or ever will be. Number two, you could say the universe created itself from nothing, which doesn't make sense logically. And then number three, or you could have this option, the universe was created by a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, all-powerful, free being who we know as God. Now, let me ask you, friend, what takes more faith to believe that no one plus Nothing made everything, or to simply accept by faith the first ten words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now notice, friend, the Bible never tries to prove God. Why is that? Because the Bible assumes that people with a brain... That common sense people will deduce His existence simply by observing the order, beauty, and immensity of creation around them. Think about it like this. You pick up a book and you already know that book didn't assemble itself from an explosion on a printing press. That book had to have an author, right? You sit down in a chair and you recognize there had to be a designer. There had to be a carpenter who... Put it together. So if every book needs an author, if every painting needs an artist, if every skyscraper needs an architect, then why wouldn't the creation need a creator? (laughs) The atheists accuse us of taking our brains out when we go to church, and yet they operate under the assumption of cause and effect, and yet when they get to God, they say, oh, it doesn't apply there. Friend, I've heard a lot of whoppers in my day, Atheism says something came from nothing, that order came from chaos, that non-life gave rise to life, that mind gave rise to matter, and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I mentioned Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody said this, an old preacher from Yesteryear, God stepped from behind the curtain of nowhere, stood on the platform of nothing, and spoke the universe into existing everything from molecules to man. And some of you have trouble with believing miracles and believing the Word of God. And friend, here's what I would say to you. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, then the rest of the Bible falls into place. If you believe that God is all-powerful, that God is super-intelligent, that God is eternal, and that God created everything from nothing, then He can raise a dead body. He can walk on the water. He can turn the water into wine. He can heal sick bodies. My friend, if you can start with Genesis 1-1, then I have no reason to disbelieve the rest of it that comes afterward. By the way, that verse... Genesis 1.1 has everything we need to do science. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's the first cause. Created, that's energy. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. And they say that the Bible is anti-science. Well, it's right there in the very first Amen. verse of Scripture. Then notice what Romans 1.20 says. This is Paul writing. He said, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Watch this. In the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, what Paul is saying is, look, everybody recognizes intuitively that this just didn't happen by accident. just wasn't an explosion eons of time ago that you're more than just electrified pond You're not just an ape that wears pants. You're more than that. You are without excuse. And one day, every atheist, every skeptic, every doubter, everybody who suppresses the knowledge of God in unrighteousness will have to stand before this holy God. And I guarantee you, their mind will change at that moment about who God is and His person and His attributes. And Paul will say, they will be without excuse. God says to him, how could you deny me? I gave you heartbeat after heartbeat after heartbeat. I gave you oxygen to breathe. I literally screamed a message in the stars that the heavens declare the glory of God. I gave you life. I gave you strength. I gave you providence and miracle after miracle. And yet, you say I don't exist. Sometimes this is the way teenagers get, isn't it? (laughs) You, you, you provide your teenager a place to live. You give them food. You give them heat and air. You give them clothes to wear, something to drive. Then they have the audacity to, te- to tell you that you can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Hello, as my mama would say, I brought you into the world and I can take you out. <laughs> Atheism in a way is like being trapped in that adolescent brain, rejecting the life and the beauty That God has given them and saying, God, I'll never have you to be my boss. You can't tell me what to do, God. I make my own way. That's the height of arrogance. That's the height of pride. Listen, in 1929, the astronomer Edwin Hubble was looking through his telescope when he noticed light from distant galaxies appeared to be redder than expected he discovered the reason for this quote-unquote redshift was because the galaxies were actually moving away from each other. As illustrated there by that inflating balloon there at the bottom. The cosmos, the stars, the planets and so on, as the universe expands just like the balloon would be inflated, those objects are moving farther apart. And Hubble concluded that the galaxies of the universe flying apart with incredible velocity... Sometime later, Albert Einstein made a trip up to California's Mount Hood Observatory and he saw the very same thing with his eyes, indisputable proof of an expanding universe. And Einstein, who was not a believer, was forced to admit, quote, God does not play dice with the universe. So what did this mean? Hubble's great discovery. Well, obviously, it meant that if you were to run the expanding universe backward in time, It would contract to an infinitesimal point of origin smaller than a single atom. Norm Geisler and Frank Turek explain it in their book this way. Think about it like this. If we could watch a video recording of the history of the universe in reverse, we would see matter in the universe collapse back to a point, not the size of a basketball, not the size of a golf ball, not even the size of a pinhead, but mathematically and logically to a point of actually nothing. In other words... Once there was nothing and then bang, there was something, the entire universe exploded into being. Friend, I'm not too smart. I don't have it all figured out. But that sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1-1 to me. Amen? Amen. By the way, all the grandfathers of science were Christians. The great men of science that we look back upon and that, that scientists herald as rational and... Effective people talking about Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon Maxwell, Louis Pasteur they were all Christians and the only reason that science was really born, the discipline of science was because these godly men wanted to understand the workings of God's universe and God is a God of order and it's the only reason why we can have science today. So the discovery of the finite universe has huge implications. First it it's no longer tenable to say that the universe is all there was, is, and ever will be. And second, it pointed scientists back to the Bible that this simple thing, everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, and therefore the universe had a cause, and that cause has to be outside time, outside space, outside matter, and He is God. Science may be able to look at a measurement or a phenomenon or something in nature, and explain the what. But science can never explain to you the why. And that's the question we all want to know. Why am I here? Who am I? What purpose do I serve? Science cannot answer that question. Only the Creator, only God can. I told you about Psalm 19.1. Here's what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims, it's handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech and there are no words whose voice is not heard. Some people ask, well, what about the lost pygmy down in Africa? What about the aboriginals down in Australia? Or the person who's living in the bush somewhere with a bone through their nose and, and, and they're just uh, going about their life. How will they No, God, the Bible says very clearly that everybody, every human being can step out, look up at the stars at night and understand that there's a Creator. And I believe according to the Word of God, Jeremiah says, if you search for me with all your heart, I will speak things unto you, things that you do not understand. And I believe if it's a sincere seeking heart who wants to know the truth, God will send that person a preacher. God will send that person a Bible. God will send a messenger somehow to that person so that they can hear the gospel, believe in Christ, and be saved. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are the skeptics, are the doubters, are the atheists really on a quest for truth? Or are they on a quest for happiness? Most of them are on a quest for truth. They just want to believe whatever is convenient and will make them happy. I'm not in to being happy friend. I want to know the truth. I want to believe the truth. I want to be changed by the truth. And I want my my life to be realigned by the truth of the Word of God. In July of this year, the first images from NASA's $10 billion James Webb telescope were released to the public. Many of you have probably already seen some of these photos that they've taken of the distant galaxies. The image that you're looking at was one of the first that was released this summer. It's called The Cosmic Cliffs. Listen to the write up on what you're looking at. This is a high resolution picture of the Carina Nebula, which is 7,600 light years away from Earth. According to NASA, the image shows a galactic nursery in a blanket of dust and gas. These stars that you're seeing, the bright spots there, those are not just individual stars. They are entire galaxies that within them contain millions of planets and stars. One Italian astronomer commented this way, quote, this image reveals God's astonishing creative power. No duh. (laughs) God crafted this star-birthing supermassive scene to be beautiful. And no humans have seen it until now, What other matchless wonders has God tucked away in corners of the universe we have yet to discover or maybe we never will? Are you beginning to feel small? You're beginning to feel like just a speck in the cosmic scheme and yet that this great God of immense power and wisdom and sovereignty, would look down upon me, a peon, a sinner, an evil, wretched man, and send a Savior to bring me back from death and hell. Oh my gosh. Just look at the creation and see the message written through the telescope that God says, I'm here, I'm still on the throne i 'm beautiful i 'm powerful i 'm immense, and if you'll reach out to me i'll provide all the things that your heart truly longs for Amen. there's evidence from creation, and then there's evidence from complexity. Think about that story that uh was told years ago. I believe it was uh, by the pastor of First Baptist Dallas years ago, uh, R. G. Lee. <laughs> Uh, this was during the Sputnik era in the 1950s when space race was on and the, the Soviets had launched a, a man up into outer space, Yuri Gagarin, the first man to go out into outer space. And the Soviets uh, thumped their chests about that and they made a bold statement. You know, they're a communist country. And they made a bold statement back in those days that Yuri Gagarin went out to space and he peered as far as he could see and he never saw God. And old R.G. Lee, he stood up on a Sunday when, after that event had happened. He said, I bet if that cosmonaut took off his uh, helmet and, and looked out into space, then he would see God. <laughs> so there's evidence from creation. And then number two, there's evidence from complexity. Evidence from complexity. Psalm 139. I hope you have it in your Bible. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever known a tornado to blow through a junkyard and cause a fully functional 747 to be assembled? That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? How many of you would think that an explosion at Sherwin-Williams would splash enough paint to create a Mona Lisa? What about if I went to the top of the One World Trade and I dropped Scrabble pieces from the top of that building what are the chances that they would fall on the sidewalk and spell out the Gettysburg Address? Right? Don't hold your breath. What's missing from all that? Design. Intelligence. Forethought. Creativity. And this is where we see another argument for God, the evidence from complexity. And here's what the design argument says. Every design needs a designer. The universe exhibits incredible design, and therefore the universe must have a designer. You see, and this is why the theory of evolution is falling apart. Even if you read the scientific uh, talk today, I mean, it's a worldview in crisis. Because the more that science and technology advances, the more that they discover about the complexity of life, the more that this worldview is rendered to be what it really is, a lie. There's no way you could be consistent intellectually as you look at the evidence and say, oh yeah, this is all just one big accident. You see, the immense problem that the atheist face is trying to explain how something as complex as DNA came into existence by chance. You see, it turns out that life is way more complex than Darwin ever imagined in the 1800s because Darwin did not have access to the cell. And DNA, which is the four-letter language of life, it spells out all the building instructions to every single living organism from amoebas to ants to Adam. And God wrote it and God engineered it. Francis Collins, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for mapping out the human genome, here's what he wrote in his book, The Language of God. He said, quote, At the moment of conception, a fertilized human egg is about the size of a pinhead and yet it contains information equivalent to be about six billion chemical letters. This is enough information to fill a thousand books, 500 pages thick with print so small you would need a microscope to read it. Moreover, a live reading of that genetic code present in just one human cell at the rate of three letters a second would take 31 years reading nonstop, day and night, And if all the chemical letters in the human body were printed in books, it is estimated they would fill the Grand Canyon 50 times. How could we deny it? You know that this evidence has caused some skeptics to reevaluate their beliefs? Francis Crick, he was one of the scientists who discovered DNA's double helix design. The more he studied DNA, the shakier his skepticism became. And he made this statement in 1981 before he passed. He said, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that the origin of life appears to be a what, church? Miracle. Miracle. You and I know that. Our world denies it because they want to be God. Then in 2007, the scientific community was rocked when one of the world's most famous atheists, a man named Anthony Flew, finally declared that he believed in God. He wrote in his book, there is a God that, quote, there has to be an intelligence behind the integrated complexity of the universe. David, a little shepherd boy, sitting on a Bethlehem hillside, He didn't have a telescope, he didn't have a microscope, but he had the Spirit of God dwelling within his bosom. And he put pen to parchment, and he wrote these words in Psalm 139, as if God had given him a secret window into the formation of humanity. He said this, Psalm 139, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Wonderful are Your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from You. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in Your book was written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, and yet there was none of them. Oh God, if I could say one thing to our teenage culture, to our lost twenty-somethings and our millennials, This is exactly the message that our culture needs to be hearing today. That you're not an accident. That God doesn't make junk. That God didn't mess up when He made you. And that you have purpose. You were created lovingly. And purposefully and intricately. And God made you to be in an eternal relationship with Him. So don't end your life. Don't give in to the darkness. Don't believe the lies of the culture that says you can chop off body parts and inject things into your body to change who you are biologically. God made you with purpose. Purpose. This is what our young people need to hear. We wonder why our kids go into our schools and blow each other away with rifles and handguns because we've taught them for generation after generation that they're nothing more than cells and matter, that they've been evolved from, from ponds come and we've treated them and taught them that they're animals. Well, no wonder then when they go into school and live like animals. This lie goes deep. Because now we've gotten to the point in our culture where we've got young people, even some older folks, who think I can identify to be whatever I want to be, change my sex, be operated on, put hormones into my body. Oh, that's a lie from the enemy. He wants people deceived and confused. He wants people to self-destruct and to hate themselves. That's a lie from the devil. And I just want to say to them, hey, God loves you. God made you. He wrote His love in in your genetic code. And if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll find the love that you're looking for. You'll find the purpose that your heart desires. You'll find the one who can make sense of the darkness in your head. Oh my God. This lie is killing people today. This is exactly what our world needs to hear. You're not evolved from electrified pond scum. You're not a cosmic accident. You're not the product of time and matter and chance. God made every boy and girl man and woman. And God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? That's the evidence from complexity and the evidence from creation Y'all see what you did? You got me all worked up now. Can I do point number three? I know we're getting close on time. Number three is this. The evidence from conscience. The final clue that points to God's existence is the thing that makes humans uh, unique among creation. And that is that we have a conscience. Conscience. All humanity, no matter their culture, language, or education, shares a common feature, and that is we are hardwired with a sense of right and wrong. Our world tries to change those definitions. Our Supreme Court tries to legislate a different morality. But we all have a moral compass, the Bible says. Romans 2, Paul writes here of the pagan cultures that adhered to a moral law. Here's what he says, Romans 2, 14 and 15 For when the Gentiles who do not have the law that is the revelation of God by nature do what the law requires they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law they show, watch this, the work of the law written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. I don't care how hardcore an atheist you are You better know right from wrong. And science can't tell you ethics. Only the Word of God can. And then we have Jesus' words in John 3. Jesus noted how humans have a propensity to hide their evil, unrighteous deeds in the dark. We know that, don't we? Think about the the cover-up of the, the pandemic and all of the chicanery and the deception and... All the lies that have come out now in in view of that. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into the light lest his works be exposed. That's why I say there really is no such thing as a true atheist. Because you're going to end up worshiping something. It's either the true and living God or an idol that you've created or yourself. And those last two will leave you empty and do a life of meaninglessness. But Jesus says here, that's why people resist the gospel. That's why folks harden their heart when the preacher is preaching under the authority of the Holy Spirit. That's why people want to tear up the Bible and Kick God out of our schools and God out of our culture and out of our political process and so on. Why? Because we don't want to be exposed in the light for what we really are. Sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, Jesus diagnoses our true heart condition. And that really, atheism is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. The arguments are created to try and keep God at arm's length, but really, it's our heart that's in rebellion against the Holy God. And we try and assuage that conscience with clever arguments and loopholes and things that we invent in our mind to try and poke holes in the truth of Scripture. But I'm telling you, when the skeptic, when the doubter, when the atheist lays their head down at night, they can't escape their conscience and they can't escape the Holy Spirit of God. So here's what the moral argument says. Every law has a lawgiver. There's a universal moral law. Therefore, there must be a moral lawgiver, i.e., God, which is illustrated there in the Ten Commandments. Without God, listen, there is no standard for objective, unchanging moral values. I don't just believe what I want to believe, I don't believe what I believe because it's convenient. Because certainly Christianity isn't convenient. I don't believe what I believe because it's my opinion. I believe what I believe because it's the truth of the Word of God. I didn't just make this up. But it's true objectively. And the skeptic and the atheist, they have no basis upon which to frame a moral argument. An atheist cannot point to anything and say that is wrong because they are not grounding it in anything else besides Their own personal opinion. You've heard that. Well, that's your truth. You live your truth and I'll live my truth. That's a bunch of hogwash. We don't live that way. Without the existence of God, there is no basis for saying that something like 9-11 was evil. That rape is wrong. Or that Mother Teresa lived a better life than Hitler if there is no God then how can you say something is right or wrong? How can something be evil if there is no standard by which to measure it against? And that's what the skeptic does. That's what the atheist does. The first time there's a tragedy or a plane crashes or a pandemic or there's some kind of terrible atrocity that's committed a war or whatever, the atheist wants to point at that and say, look, I told you there was no God. If God were all loving, if God were perfect, if God were in control, he'd stop that. And I want to stop them and say, wait a second, you're making a moral claim. You're calling something good and evil. How are you basing that decision? Something transcendent? Something that doesn't change? Something that's objective? Or is it just your opinion? We all know about opinions, don't we? This moral argument is what led C.S. Lewis out of atheism and into Christianity. He said this, As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe was so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? You see, here's the thing. The atheists don't realize a lot of times until you spend time talking with them and help them to understand it that in order for you to have a consistent moral life, you have to borrow from the God that you say doesn't exist. They have to borrow from the Bible and from Christianity in order to make a moral claim. And that's where the worldview begins to fall apart. The Bible explains why our world is messed up. Why our world is careening toward darkness. That's because of sin. That sin entered into the human bloodstream in Genesis chapter 3. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then the the fall happened and the curse of sin and decay and death. And that's the reason why our world is so askew and so messed up. But praise God. This God of creation and this God of complexity and this God of conscience, sin and redeemer. His name was Christ. And He came into this world. He entered time and space in the body of a man born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. And He carried my cross and took my punishment up to the hill of Calvary and died for you and for me. And God says, doesn't matter how hardcore you used to hate against me or how hardened your heart is, anyone who comes to the bloody cross of Jesus Christ and repents of their sin can be saved. Oh, friend... What a message that God has given us. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. The problem is not that man can't believe in God, it's that man won't believe in God. It's because his heart is in rebellion. Faith is not a matter just of the head, it's a matter of the heart. And there's a lot of folk out there who are going to miss heaven, I've said it many times, by 18 inches. The distance between the heart and the head. But one day they will have to stand before that God. And as Paul said, when the books are presented and the evidence is put forward, they will be without excuse. And by the way, choosing not to believe in something doesn't magically make it go away. The fact that somebody denies the very evidence of God doesn't mean that He doesn't exist. I can choose not to believe in the law of gravity, but if I take a long walk off a skyscraper, I'm going to end up as a grease spot on the pavement. Why? Because reality doesn't magically align itself to what I think or how I feel. That's the nature of truth. And God has demonstrated His existence In so many ways, through the proof of life and death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, here's the ultimate trump card. I know God exists. Set aside all those arguments. I think they're convincing. I know God exists. Because I've seen Him change so many people's lives. If God was dead, then why? Are we still having life changed today some 2,000 years later after the time of Jesus? But friend, I've seen miracle after miracle. I've seen God change old crusty, hard, dark hearts. God break down the rebellion of old sinners to where they have to profess, I am wrong. God, you are right. There's a boy that I'm thinking of right now. He came to the youth group a few years ago. He walked in the door. He said, don't try and change the way I think. He said, I'm an atheist. 16 years old. He got into drugs. He got into drinking. He got into girls. But for some reason, he kept coming to Liberty Baptist Church. He came and he went with our youth group on a trip. He got gloriously saved at that youth trip. He came back. He said, Derek... He said, I used to be an atheist and now I can't even remember the arguments that I used for why there was no God. And I baptized him right there. And today, he's preaching the Word of God, aspiring to be a preacher. You explain that to me! This brother right here that God sent us to play guitar, a swaggering, confident atheist for many years And just earlier this year, I had the privilege of baptizing him. And you remember what he said during his baptism? I'm here today to tell you, I used to be an atheist. But God is alive and well. I got a young lady right here who's got a testimony that she didn't believe in God, didn't want her to be a God. Depression and darkness was her story. But oh, somebody drug her to the house of God one day where she heard a simple gospel message And a faithful gospel preacher. And God saved her. And then God saved her again when He healed her brain tumor. You tell me there's no God. My son Daniel, nine years old, got right with God right down here at nine years old. Friend, I've seen it. I can't deny it. God is real. And He's still changing lives today. So don't believe the lie that says God doesn't exist. Because obviously they hadn't set foot at 875 Monta Vista Road. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Preston's coming to receive our invitation. i got to catch your breath. Maybe there's something that was said today that touched your heart. Maybe you've been holed up in that that old skepticism and questions and doubt. Hey, you can let all of it go today. You can come to a great God and a Savior. What about it, young person? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? God's real. He's in the building today. And Jesus would love to change your heart and life. Can we stand today if you'd like to respond to this message? Come to receive Christ. Come to... Join the church. Come to be baptized. Come to pray. Our altar is open for anybody and anything.